morning, here we are, the last week of our summer series, Big Rocks, Investing in What Truly Matters. Uh, I just got to say, it's been an honor, it's been a privilege to be with you these last few weeks, and throughout this entire series going on this journey with you, we've looked at uh, uh, intake of the Bible, we've looked at prioritizing the Bible, we've looked at worshiping God because we're in awe of God, we've looked at meditation and evangelism and stewardship, and today... We're going to look at the rock of rest. Today is all about resting in peace. At 2 o'clock in the morning on January 8th, 1964, Randy Gardner broke a world record. He had gone 11 days and 25 minutes, over 264 hours without sleep. Not a snooze, a snore, or a power nap. No, resting his eyes, counting sheep, sawing logs for a week and a half. Oh, and he did it without any caffeine or stimulants of any kind. Once he broke the world record, he slept for 14 hours straight and then went right back into a cycle of sleeping and waking like normal. See, the human body can only last about three weeks without food. Gandhi is famously known for going 21 days of complete starvation. You can only last a couple days without water, and apparently if you stayed awake for over a week and a half, you'd break a world record. But I don't think any of us are willing to try that. See, a third of our life is devoted to sleep. Have you ever thought about that? A third of your life is spent in the most vulnerable position a human being can be in. Dead to your surroundings, completely unaware, probably some drool coming out of your mouth. We were designed this way. Why was it God's design for the human body to sleep? Can you, can you imagine with me how much more effective we would be if we didn't have to sleep? If you never got tired, you could have that second career. Your to-do list would always be empty. Everybody would volunteer in church. Coffee would lose a lot of its popularity and the idea of a bed The whole concept wouldn't exist. But instead, this morning, we all woke up from a night of sleep. Now, maybe it wasn't as much as you would have liked, or maybe you're one of those really sick people who brags about only needing three to four hours of sleep to function. Either way, there was a period of time where you put everything on hold and did nothing for an extended period. You rested. We rested from all the work and activities and then we woke up and we went right back at it again. I believe there's an underlying practical and spiritual application in this human practice that we all have in common. We all sleep. We all rest. The God who never sleeps created sleep when he created humans. It was a part of his design that we would have to rest So as we finish this series, I want to show you why we should be investing in the rock of not just sleep, but of rest. We're going to look at why we should rest and then end our time with how we should rest at a couple different passages. We're going to start in Psalm 127. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 127. And we're going to look at why rest truly matters. Psalm 127, starting in verse 1, says this. Unless the Lord builds the house, 
Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, when it comes to the idea of rest, especially if we're looking for reasons why we should rest this morning, there's a lot of language in this psalm that implies that there's not a lot of rest going on. Those who build it, the watchman stays awake. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. That sounds like a lot of activity to me. And if we're not careful, we can read this passage as a rebuke. That's how I read it the first few times when I was studying this week is the idea of, oh, why do you build? Why do you watch? Why are you getting up early and going to bed late? Why do you toil at all? It's up to God, so just stop trying. And my friends, that is absolutely not the point of this passage. In fact, I'm not even going to turn any pages in my Bible here. Just look down at Psalm 128. He says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. And then look over the page to Psalm 132, verse 3. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Wait, wait, wait. I thought we just said, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Why the contradiction here? I don't think it's a contradiction as much as it's a commitment it's a commitment to this belief that in all of our striving and working and toiling, why would we rest? Because God is the producer. God is the producer. The place we have to start this morning is knowing that while we are called to build, God is the one producing the results. We can rest in that simple truth that God is the producer. There's a St. Augustine quote that says this, pray as if it depends on God, work as if it depends on you. And I get what he's, he's trying to say, but I think we can do a little bit better than that this morning in light of this passage. I think it could be pray as if it depends on God, work as if it depends on you, knowing it depends on God. Because I think if we allow our work our building, to even for a second have a seat at the table of who we are in God, of our new identity in Jesus Christ. That work, that, that building will start to look like a little G God. And it will take the place of the one who should get the glory and all of our labor will be in vain. Daniel 2.21 says this, he, as in God, changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. God is the producer. That doesn't mean that people don't do amazing things and set themselves up for incredible opportunities or work hard. But the minute we think we get the credit for what is happening, the results of those things, we are stealing God's glory. And that's why it says, those who build it labor in vain. Now look, I, I know we all come from different walks of life. Your story is different than my story. But I just want to tell you that I've, I've had a taste of trying to build 
my own life. I've tried the popularity and the alcohol and the sex and the money. I've tried the people-pleasing and the climb your way to the top and invest in myself so I can make myself the best myself can be. And I'm telling you, it was all in vain. It was all in vain. Every once in a while, I'm on YouTube watching uh, super spiritual videos. I watch cat videos like the rest of you, okay? But every once in a while, I'll get the advertisement at the beginning of the YouTube video, right? And sometimes it'll be this guy who's like around my age or maybe younger, and he's like, I'm about to walk in this Lamborghini store and buy a Lamborghini with cash, and you can too if you click the link and follow my foolproof method to blah, 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 right? I've clicked the link. All right, I'll just click the link because there's, there's always that thought, like maybe I'm the first one to see this video. <laughs> maybe this is for it. Maybe I can have a Lamborghini, right? You click it and it's always some pyramid scheme or whatever, trying to get you to buy into this and drive people to your site or whatever. But these guys are builders, right? They're building something. They're, the whole poise to get people like you and me to buy into the house that they're building. And the house that they're building is built on what the world says will last. And listen, I don't, I don't know who they are, but it's pretty obvious that the Lord is not really interested in building that house. And maybe he did buy that Lambo. I don't know. But I know this, it won't last. Because it's in vain unless the Lord builds the house. Those who build it labor in vain unless we are working and building with eternity in our hearts. We can't know the type of rest that comes with that. There will always be more. We can always get another promotion, make more money, have more friends, more followers, more likes, more subscribers. There will always be more when we build the house. But when we know that God is the producer, we can build in a quiet confidence that lets us rest in the promises of God that he will provide exactly what we need. As a husband and a father, there's this innate desire within me to protect and provide for my family. It's just in me. Um, I remember when Jen and I were, date, were dating, there would be times, you know, we'd go out to dinner or hang out with friends and the night would come to an end and she'd be going home and I'd walk her to her car. Right, that was a twofold reason, right? I wanted to spend a little more time with her, say goodnight. Second thing, though, I wanted to make sure she was safe. Right? I'd walk her out, we'd be out in the parking lot, and I'd instantly pretend I was Liam Neeson. Okay? <laughs> Looking like all the angles of danger could come from, possible threats. I'm like, I got a ballpoint pen in my pocket, I can turn it into a deadly weapon at any point, right? <laughs> now we're married and we're in bed, and there's like, you know, something, she hears something, she's like, can you go check it out? I'm like, you know where the bat is? Just go look. No, swing, be fine. Marriage changes you, right? But then we had kids. Dude, there's a whole new world of protecting your kids, of looking out for your kids. I mean, there's like the big scary things like abduction or them like running out into the street, right? But then there's like the little things like Mason shoving seven chicken nuggets in his mouth and I have to do the Heimlich, like I'm just ready for that. Or like, you know, I see Mason across the street, he's like, across the room, like, looking at his brother, like, hey, I'm going to show him how hard I can swing this bat at his face, right? And you're using, like, parental spidey sense to, like, run and stop it before it happens, right? I'm always alert. I'm always looking. That's, that stuff's just, like, on a micro scale of life, right? 
Then there's like the macro. Like the, the world is a terrifying place. Nuclear threats, terrorist groups, shootings, rape, murder, all of these terrible, terrible things happening. Like how am I supposed to rest? How am I ever supposed to feel at rest? I'm always afraid of what could happen. I'm always alert. I'm always looking out. The truth for us this morning is that unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain because God is the protector. God is the protector. God is the one in control over every situation. It doesn't mean that we don't watch, that we don't stay awake, we're not alert. It also means we don't go seeking danger because we think that following Christ gives us like a magic invincibility from terrible things. No, we use our common sense. Sin exists in the world. Bad things happen. Most common question we're asked as believers, right, is why does your God let bad things happen? I think the question we don't ask enough is how much more could happen if God let it? How much God is protecting us from? We chose a sinful world. This is the course of sin. And God, when he saved us, called us out of that world someday, but until that day comes, we live in a broken world. And I can fret and worry and stay awake at night wondering how I'm going to protect my family, how I'm going to protect my kids from the world, how I'm going to protect my church from going through hard things. Or I can choose to rest in the fact that God is the protector. I'm watching, I'm awake, I'm alert, but I'm resting in the power of the ultimate protector. Because we don't want to do anything in vain. Three times he says that. Labors in vain, stays awake in vain. And verse two, look at it. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. That's my new life verse right there. If you ever wanted a biblical reason for naps, you just got it right there, okay? Getting up early, vain. Staying up late, vain, right? Let's go to bed early. Let's get up late. Let's take a nap after lunch. Like, let's just get the sleep in, right? In all seriousness, this is not a dig on those who hustle and grind before the sun comes up and after it goes down. The conviction comes in eating the bread of anxious toil. I'm notorious for my 3 a.m. ideas. In uh, busy and exciting seasons of life, my sleep gets all out of whack. And I'll consistently wake up around 3 a.m. and can't fall back asleep. So I'll stay up thinking about whatever is going on. And then by 6 a.m., I'm sending emails or driving to stores to make things happen. And I once ordered four electric confetti cannons at 3.45 a.m. for Easter. But a lot of times that waking up is not like a nervous excitement. It's usually because I'm anxious about something that I didn't complete or don't know the answer to or just the unknown of a situation that's in front of me. Anxious toil. It's like I'm eating it and it's like sitting in my stomach, keeping me up at night. 
We all understand the term breadwinners or putting bread on the table, right? There's an expectation of providing for ourselves and for our loved ones. Not all of us, but some of us in this room have faced empty bank accounts with bills to pay and mouths to feed. We know what it feels like to eat the bread of anxious toil. And what the psalmist is saying is not, it's no big deal, go take a nap. It is vain to eat the bread of anxious toil because God gives his beloved sleep. The New American Standard translation says, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. God doesn't sleep. Did you know that? God is always working. He's never tired. He never needs a vacation. Even when we're on our last leg, God is working. So right here, God is saying, I'm, I'm doing it. Rest, sleep. Even while you're dreaming, I am working in you and through you to bring about the things that I want. I am the provider. God is the provider. That's a, that's a promise for us today that God would be the provider of all things. All of the early mornings and the late nights are in vain unless we understand that God will provide in his timing, in his way, God will provide. Don't eat the bread of anxious toil. Don't eat it. Eat the bread of peace. How do we do that? Let's turn over to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at how we should rest. Philippians chapter 4, one of Paul's epistles. This is the end of the chapter, and I love some of the correlations we're going to see here. See, Paul's ending this letter now. This is the last chapter. And in chapter 3, he had just spent time talking about straining toward the goal and calling us to stand firm. And then in chapter 4, look at verse 6 with me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Whenever I see a do not be in scripture, I like to take the word it's telling me not to be and see what the opposite word is, right? So we're not supposed to be anxious. So what are we supposed to be? Some antonyms for anxious are calm, collected, tranquil, peaceful, and content. That word content is key for us as we look at this passage because if you look a few verses later, starting in verse 11, Paul uses that word to describe the state that he's learned to be in no matter the circumstance. Whether he's hungry or full, whether he has everything or nothing, he is content because everyone's favorite out of context verse, right? He can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. The verse that we love to attach to sports and challenges and difficult situations is bred out of contentment. This idea of being content. 
It's a restful state. It's not a striving. So I can do this. I can muscle up and get myself there. It is a rest. I can do all things. So how should we rest? We need to be content in life. Be content in life. Do not be anxious about anything. Be content in life. God is the producer, so be content with whatever he has produced in your life. God is the protector. God is the provider, so be content. So often our anxious toil is a response to our discontentment, and our society revolves around this. I was talking with my small group this week, and the point came up that it has never been easier to compare ourselves than it is right now. It used to be that you just had like your neighborhood or your circle of friends. It was always just Ted down the block who had the nice car. It was Jill at work who had the perfect outfits and the perfect hair. And now with just a simple username and a login, we can continually swipe through highlight reel after highlight reel and compare ourselves to that. Thinking that this is the life that we want to have when in reality, we are producing in ourselves a discontentment and a craving for the bread of anxious toil rather than the bread of peace that comes when we are content in our life because the God we serve has provided everything we need exactly when we need it. Now listen, don't confuse this contentment in life as passiveness in your spiritual life. This is not a, this is just who I am, and so I'm not going to try, like, yeah, that guy reads his Bible more than me, but so, I'm just, this is who I am. No, what we're talking about here is, it's much more physical. It's this worldly contentment that we try to find that we're always looking for in the things that the world can offer. The sanctification of your life comes when God is continually molding you and shaping you and we should be pressing forward in those things, resting in the fact that God is the one producing the fruit in our lives, not ourselves. Be content in your life knowing that God is working. Be content with what you're given. I think this is why we're so bad at resting. We use whatever time we have off from our main thing to focus on the next thing that we think that we need to do, that we need to have to fulfill our lives, when really the thing we need most in that moment is just to be still. Stop striving, rest in God, the producer, the protector, and the provider. I think this is something we really need to go after, this contentment piece. So I want to give you five ways to rest in contentment. Five ways to rest in contentment, okay? Just practical application right now, how to put some stuff in place in your life and rest in contentment. Number one, have a day off. Take a day off. I know many of us have a couple days off every week or so, but are you really off? Are you disengaged from the things that are work? And are you engaged with your family with your relationships, with your life. I want to give you a little clue. God didn't rest on the seventh day because he needed to. God rested on the seventh day because you needed to. Jesus said that the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
A day set aside from everything else is a gift and a reminder that we are human. We are not God. We need the rest. Have a day off and protect it at all costs. And if something comes up and you have to change, move the day. Preaching to myself here, right? Find a new day. Number two, unplug more often. I'm not going to spout a bunch of facts and research about what phone and computers and TVs are doing to our brains. Just go ahead and Google that later. We can all agree that too much of a good thing is a bad thing. And sometimes we find ourselves addicted to a little screen. I'm trying to implement this practice in my life after the studying I did this week. Every so often, a few times a year, do a media fast. Better yet, set a time every day that you're going to set aside whatever it is, your phone, your tablet, your TV, and you're not going to touch it for an extended period of time, every single day. And then replace those times that you would be doing that thing on a spiritual discipline, on investing in a relationship with a real person. Number three, invest in yourself. Invest in yourself. This sounds a little new agey, I get that. But God did not create you to live in a state of constant stress and under pressure There are reasons why our body reacts negatively to those things and why it reacts really well to eating healthy and exercising, spending some time journaling your thoughts, going for a walk. You were created this way. The believer who has the discipline of quieting their minds and investing in themselves puts themselves in the best possible position to be used by the Lord. The old adage, your body is a temple, right? Are we investing in that? Number four, get some sleep. I know we already talked about this, but it bears repeating. God created you to require sleep for a healthy life. Sleep is like a mini vacation. Now, trust me, I understand seasons of lack of sleep. My wife hasn't slept in four years, right, with our little kids. But a lot of times, the lack of our sleep is due to us trying to cram more in. Or because we think that we're resting by doing nothing when really we should just go to bed and be sleeping. Discipline yourself to go to bed and wake up at specific times and I guarantee you can watch your contentment in life, the rest in your life, increase. And then number five, develop your prayer life. Develop your prayer life. This brings us back to Philippians 4 verse 6. Take a look at that. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Our contentment in life is not derived from self-posturing or mental exercises. True contentment is rooted in dependent prayer. So often we don't take time to pray because of the work we have in front of us. It gets pushed aside. We view prayer as a luxury rather than a necessity. I can do more with my hands than I can on my knees. Oswald Chambers says this, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. 
So if you're going to truly rest, you need to be consistent in prayer. Be consistent in prayer. Consistency in prayer does not mean saying a few words at a specific time and checking a box. I did it, I prayed, it's over. Your prayer life is built on your faith that God is actually listening. That the God of the universe is invested in a relationship with you that he wants to hear, he wants to know your requests. He wants to hear what you're grateful for, what is in thanksgiving in your heart. But prayer isn't all about words. A lot of times our prayer is ineffective because we spend the whole time talking. Prayer is about listening. Prayer is about receiving. When you pray, you tune yourself to God's heart. Prayer is a massive factor in your relationship with God. He loves you. He wants to talk to you. It's about resting in the Lord and believing he has something to say also. Love this quote by Leonard Ravenhill. The secret to praying is praying in secret. Praying consistently means consistently meeting with the Lord in a place that's just you and him. And that can look like a lot of different things. It can be a closet. It can be a little corner of the room. It can be in your car with no music on, driving. But find a place that you can be consistent in prayer with the Lord, that you can meet with him on a daily basis. When we come to the Lord in prayer and when we do it consistently, we find rest. We eat the bread of peace. The peace of God that, what's it say? It surpasses all understanding and will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We are our own worst enemies when it comes to rest. Our minds, our hearts are the things that can prevent us from being able to truly rely on the Lord. Our son, uh, Mason, has taught me a lot about finding comfort in things. See, we're all born with this desire for comfort. And that desire doesn't change as we get older. We just tend to look at it a different way. But it's been amazing to me how, how God's opened my eyes to this. This is actually Mason's bed. And I remember the, the day we got this bed and he moved out of a crib. And... Uh, with kids, routines are everything, right? So we had to develop a new bedtime routine for this big boy bed. And now I'm the one putting Mason more consistently to bed with our younger son Jackson around. And so our, our bedtime looks like this. I just want to walk you through it. So right around, you know, maybe 15 minutes before it's officially bedtime, we start to prime the pump. We start to let him know, hey, this is coming, right? And there's always, always, always got to be at least two snacks that go into his room. At least two. And they're in separate bowls. They can't mix. He's got to mix them if it's going to mix. If you mix them, it's, no, don't do it. Right? Two snacks. And he picks them out. He's got to have a fresh bottle of water. It's ready to go. It's got to be cold. And we go into his room and we turn on this little lamp by his bed and we pick out no less than four books. Sometimes seven if he's just in that mood, right? 
four books and we'll sit on his floor and we'll read him while he eats his snacks and then we'll go brush his teeth and we'll come back and we'll climb into bed and I'll turn off the lamp and I turn on his nightlight and every night I get down like this and I say, let's pray. What do you want to pray about? And he always says, I don't know. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) And I'll suggest some things that happen during the day. I'll say, what about this? You want to pray about this? You want to pray about grandma and grandpa? You want to pray about your friend that came over? You want to pray about going to that park? And should we pray for this person that we know is going through something hard right now? And he'll, he'll just agree with all of that. And I'll say, okay, let's, let's pray. And always when I say, okay, let's pray, I bow my head and he'll, he'll suggest one last thing. And it's usually like, like, oh, and pray about something that I had promised him earlier that day that I thought he had maybe forgot about and he didn't forget about. <laughs> like, yeah, oh yeah, we are going to the zoo. Okay, yeah, okay, I'll make that happen. And then we pray and I, I pray with him and, and I'll say amen and I'll, I'll give him a kiss, right? And always at the end of that prayer, right? Because this is the end. This is the end of the routine. Always, he says these words. He says, will you lay with me a couple minutes? Every night. And so I will, (laughs) I'll just lay like this, right next to him. And I'll lay here a minute, and I'll I'll hear this little, uh, and he reaches out his hand. And I'll grab his hand and I'll hold it and I'll lay there. Two minutes to Mason is 20. I'll lay there as long as it takes. I don't care. You can call me whatever type of parent you want to call me. (laughs) I love my boy and I love that that comforts him. I love that he finds comfort in his daddy. I love that he wants me to be there so he can rest. Right? All this toil throughout the day, all the striving, all the running and playing and everything and the tantrums and everything comes and he's just so peaceful as he sleeps. And he's just dead to the world. And I'll come in an hour later and he's just flopped all over, just out, at rest, at peace. And I was, guys, I was in this passage and God just goes, that's what I want to do in your life, Brent. I want to give you the comfort. Be comforted by God, church. Don't keep striving and toiling and eating this bread of anxious toil that just keeps you up at night and constantly thinking that you can do it. If I just try harder, I can do it. God says, just rest. And it's a response to Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. See, everything we've discussed this morning, all the striving and the working and the unrest, it's, it, we do it with the ultimate goal of someday finding like that perfect life. Like someday after it's all said and done, it's like, you know, climbing into bed after a long day, like, oh, I did it. I can just, oh, I can just rest. Like that's gonna happen someday and the thing we find is that the years and the weeks and the months go by, right? And it feels like we're getting further away from the bed. And the, tr- the reality of that is, is this bed isn't real. There will always be more. See, when Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest, he wasn't speaking literally. He wasn't saying, hey, I'll give you a five-week vacation at a five-star hotel. He wasn't saying, I'll, I'll just figure it all out and you don't have to do anything. 
What he's saying is, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. There's still work to be done. There's still a life to live. But we can do that work while finding our comfort in God. Be comforted by God. Don't seek the comforts of a world that is failing. Don't seek the comfort of the bread of anxious toil. Be comforted by God because he is the producer and the protector and the provider of all things that we need. Rest is the last rock we're putting in our jar because it's often the rock we forget about. But if we're talking about investing what truly matters, we gotta take some pebbles out. We gotta take some sand out of that jar to make sure this rock gets in. I was reminded of Psalm 63 this week, 63, and I wanna read it over us as we close right now. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your glory and power because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help and then in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. David found his rest in the Lord. And we can too. If we come to him and we realize that we should rest, it's not up to us. And to make some intentional decisions of how we're going to do that. We're going to be consistent in prayer. We're going to be comforted by God. We're going to be content in life. And we will find our rest. I want to pray that over us right now as we end. Let's pray. God, I I sense just the love that you have for your people right now, God, that every single soul that walked in here this morning, God, that you have a desire to kneel by their bed and hold their hand and tell them it's It's me. You're with me. Let me take it. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Stop trying so hard. And God, we feel the insufficiencies of of our own self, of our sin and our, our failures and our shame and the guilt. And God, you want us just to bring it all. Lay it at your feet and find true rest in the God who saves and the God who satisfies. God, let our, let our hunger for you grow. Let our desire for you be afresh this morning. God, we don't come and just expect you not to move because we know the God that we serve, the God that is always working, never tired, 
God, carry us. Carry us in your arms. Satisfy our souls. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.